0: to uh, many who had a part in the men's retreat, Um, I would encourage you to possibly listen to Eric's lessons. They would be on our podcast uh, formats, not uh, on our YouTube page or Facebook page. We just made a recording and then uploaded them to the places that we put uh, our sermons only on podcasts. I might encourage you not to because I told him I was going to steal most of it and use it in lessons uh, maybe very soon, but uh, very, very good lessons for our men on the idea of fellowship and something that I think we all would be benefited to consider um, but We're thankful for all those who had a part in that and uh, just thankful for this great congregation and so many things that are done. Uh, Brian joked about those who were getting older. I feel like I do need to make one clarification that is probably my fault. Uh, not only were there folks getting older or younger in the bulletin, but there's also someone that we brought back from the dead and then killed again. And uh, some of you may have paid attention. That's uh, Brother N.B. Hardiman, who's uh, died about, about 60 years ago, I think. And that was, that was my fault. Uh, N.B. Hardiman did. Some of you know that name because he's part of the namesake for Fried Hardiman. It was Hardiman Nichols was the, the brother that passed away about a week or so ago. Uh, and, again, I announced that, so I'll, I'll take the blame uh, for that. may have said the wrong thing. Um, but for those who may be watching online or heard that message, That doesn't sound right. I don't think that he's been alive for for many years now, but uh, that was just a mix-up on the name. But my brother Hardiman Nichols, who, of course, carries that name Hardiman, and we're thankful for that good uh, family and and the preaching that they've done over the years. And so we wanted to make mention of that, but did want to make that correction uh, as well. You know, it said we're in the middle, of course, here in the South. We're here in the middle of football season it's football season all across the country, right? But here in the South especially, it seems like it's something that everybody appreciates and really has their teams, whether it be college or pro, that they support. You know, one thing that happens in football season, in particular for many coaches, it, of course, steps up as you get a little bit of a step up in the level. You know, a, a middle school coach is different than a high school coach, is different than a, a college coach who is different from someone who maybe coaches UTC that may be different from an Alabama or a, a Tennessee or even a professional coach. But one thing that coaches do is they spend a lot of time working, and they spend a lot of time watching what we call film, right, highlights or, or game tape. It's estimated that some coaches may spend upwards of, of at least 10 to 14 or 15 hours a week watching film, watching game film. If you think about it, those of you and, and us who have worked 40, 40 hour weeks, roughly 40 hour weeks in our job, you know, that's at least a third or so of the work week spent watching game film. Well, that's one reason for that, of course, is to go back and watch what your team has done. You know, here's what we did, here's what we could do better, here's where we could improve, but a good bit of that probably each week is spent watching film of your opponent, of the team that's, that's coming up, the next team that you're going to play, or even future teams sometimes, but it helps to watch and understand our opponent and what they are going to do. If you have your outline or a bulletin in front of you there this morning, you've noticed that we're going to talk about an opponent. The common opponent that we all share, we're going to in both lessons that we're going to look at today if you're able to be with us, but we must notice that it is important, it is imperative that we understand our opponent, the devil. We know that Peter would say, first of all, in 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, that we are to be sober. Some people listen, hear that, they, they read that and they think about alcohol only, you know that we need to be sober, not consuming alcoholic beverages that, that can distort our mind. And, and there's a sense that's that's true, but it's being aware, being able to comprehend and take in a situation. We are to be sober, to be vigilant, because our adversary, our opponent, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I ask you to turn to John chapter 8, and we're told there in John 8:44, Jesus says, You are of your father. The devil, speaking to those who are questioning him, those who are causing him grief, he says, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. The the devil is a liar from the very beginning, and it is important that we understand that and we do our best to know our opponent. Now, I gave you one correction in the bulletin already, but I was told that I'd already misspelled something in the bulletin, but some of you know where we're going already with the title this morning, the knots in the devil's tail. Now, we usually, as we think about our opponent, we think of maybe a little small character or a little red character character that has a tail and sometimes it's pointed on the end as as that's been described in in cartoons or movies or things this idea of the devil or a devil we're going to talk about his tail but his t-a-l-e the tales that he tells and we're going to talk about not a physical knot that you can tie but the knots in the devil's tail I'd like for us to look at about four or so this morning I've got I think seven total and may not make it to them all We'll keep an eye on the time. And what we don't get to, we'll try to cover this afternoon. If you have your uh, bulletin and you've seen the title, this afternoon I had kind of intended for us, and we still will a little bit, but maybe to focus on some current ideas, some current things, uh, and ways in which there are some knots in the devil's tail. But this morning, let's take a look at several of these and notice some of these knots. Number one, the first one is there is not a God. There is not a God. That is one of the knots. In the devil's tale. We know this to be the case because he would have us to believe, and it seems very common in the world that people would say, There is not a God. Now that's not certainly the message of the Bible. And you know what's interesting about this first knot is that the devil himself doesn't even believe this, right? James chapter 2 and verse number 19. James 2:19, James would write and say, You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. So while the devil would have you believe, he would take Scripture and twist it to say that there is not a God, even he doesn't believe that. We think about, of course, his interaction with Jesus and how he had an opportunity to tempt him. He believes there is a God, but he would have us believe that there is not a God. The one who believes this, the person who believes this, is a fool, of course, Psalms 14 and verse number one, excuse me, Psalm 14 and verse number one, the psalmist records, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. you heard me say that before. I often quote it to make mention of the fact that if you're not careful in reading the Bible, the Bible says there is no God, right? If you take that verse and split it up, the Bible says there is no God. But actually, in context, it says that the fool is the one who has said this. And notice, as if you might have turned to pay attention there to that verse, the fool has said it in his heart. Here's the point. Many people will say it with their mouth, but many people don't say it with their mouth, but they believe it in their heart. And they show it forth with their actions because they believe it in their heart. The fool doesn't have to say it out loud. Oh, oh, sure, we've got YouTube. We, we've got a platform. We've got podcasts and the internet where people can broadcast it, but they don't have to always broadcast it to everyone. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. We know ultimately, of course, that the evidence of God is overwhelming. Do You remember in Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20? Romans 1, 19 and 20. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. They're clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. When we think about the world around us, when we look around, we're thankful for God's revealed will. I think we've talked about this in some lessons recently. We're thankful that he has given us his word, the word by which we can know him, And we can know how to be saved. But have you ever thought about, maybe you weren't raised, or if you weren't raised in a home in which the Bible was taught, what would you think as you grow, as you get older, and look around at the way in which this world works? We would hopefully look at it and say, well, there must be a creator. There must be a designer, because there is design. The evidence of God is overwhelming as we look around us, yet the devil, one of the knots in the devil's tail, is he would have us believe this tale that there is not a God, even though clearly that's not what the Bible says. Number two, the second knot in the devil's tail is you will not be lost. You will not be lost. Isn't it true that That is where it all begins for us, right? We usually think about Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 4. As we think about Eve in the garden and Adam and Eve there, God had told them very plainly, in the day that you eat of the fruit, of this forbidden fruit, as we say, you shall surely die. You know this lesson this outlines when I borrowed from someone who I think borrowed it from someone else and as I was kind of doing some research I think there've been other articles that have been written lots of people have considered this kind of idea or this kind of title and the reason of course is because of Genesis here chapter 3 in the very beginning because we see that all the devil had to do was add a knot the knot in the devil's tail God said it very plainly you shall surely die And all the devil had to do was add that knot and say, you shall not surely die. That's what he would have us believe when he says, you will not be lost. We think as well about Isaiah chapter 59, verses one and two, the devil would have us say, sin does not separate you from God, right? I mean, there are so many verses and we're going to look at a bunch this morning as we continue to go through. But each time God says something, the devil simply has to throw that knot in there. Isaiah talks about this fact that our sins separate us from God. And all the devil says is, no, that's not the case. Your sin doesn't separate you from God. You may have sin in your life right now, and you you came. You're here this morning. You continue to live, so surely your sin does not separate you from God. We think about Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. He would have you believe that all have not sinned. We know that Paul would write there for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the devil's not is you won't be lost. And, and you know, not all have sinned, right? This idea that, that you're a sinner and, and I'm a sinner. We're all sinners, so that's not, not a big deal. Not, not everybody, maybe, has, has sin, And so, you know, you just keep doing the best you can. Don't worry about things. It's not a big deal because you will not be lost. And, of course, we think about Revelation chapter 22 and verse 14. Blessed are they, the devil would have us believe, that do not do his commands. We're right here at the very end of Scripture, Revelation 22, verse 14 says, Blessed are those who do his commands that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. The devil says, Blessed are they that do not his commands. Don't you like to have fun? Don't you like to enjoy this life? You'll be blessed if you do not do His commands because you will not be lost. See, it's easy as we think about Scripture. There are many knots in the devil's tale that he would have us believe. Number one, there is not a God. Number two, you will not be lost. Number three, there is not just one way. There is not just one way. Once again, this is absolutely contrary to Scripture. We know that in Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4 verses 3 through 6 Paul talks about that there is one body one faith there's one body and one spirit excuse me just as you were called in one hope of your calling one Lord one faith one baptism one God and father of all who is above all and through all and in you all I would ask you and you might ask yourself how much plainer does Paul have to be he says there is one there is one faith and there is one body Yet we look around us and we don't have to travel to California or to New York or to Florida or anywhere else. We don't have to travel very far down the road here in Saudi Daisy. And we would see that many people don't believe this, that there is just one way. Because everybody makes their own way. The devil would have us believe there is not one body. There is not one faith. You remember the words of Jesus in John chapter 14 and verse number 6. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Yet the the world, our country in particular, as well, even our government to some extent, would have us believe that you just you believe what you want to believe. That if you believe in Jesus, that He's the way, that's fine. If you want to believe in Muhammad, that's fine. If you want to believe in someone else, that's fine. But there is not one way, one truth, and one life. That is certainly a knot in the devil's tail. You do not need to be in one religion. Do you remember in the true Lord's Prayer in John chapter seventeen? <coughs> excuse me, John 17, the whole chapter, but specifically verses 20 through 21, Jesus gives us the true Lord's Prayer because he prays here for so many things, including the believers, all believers, and he talks about this idea of unity. I encourage you to go and to read that, to read it often, to think about the fact that he prays for himself, he prays for his disciples, and he prays for all believers, and he says, my prayer is that they may be one so why is it then that we continue to believe that everybody's okay to do whatever they want to do you believe what you want to believe i'll believe what i want to believe and the answer is there's a knot in the devil's tail he says there is not just one way turn with me in your bibles to 1 corinthians chapter one i want you to notice here because again so many people follow this and, and believe this idea yet in this passage alone 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 10. Notice in this verse, one verse, Paul says it at least five different times, five different ways. Now I plead with you, also using that word, that idea of begging, I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we've already covered a good portion of the verse, five ways that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions, that you may be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Five different ways he emphasizes in just these few short words that we need to speak the same thing. And the knot in the devil's tail is that you you don't have to. It's, It's not a big deal. Do you remember this particular passage going down to verse number 12? Paul expounds a little bit, and he says they've got fan clubs, right? They've got groups. And they've got this fandom, so to speak. We, again, we think about Alabama fans or, or Tennessee fans or whatever your team might be. He says, some people say, well, I'm of Apollos or, or I'm of Cephas or I'm of Paul. Everybody's got their own group and you're divided and you're walking around with your chest puffed out wearing a badge saying, well, I've got my Cephas badge on today because I'm of Cephas. I don't know about you, but, but you should come be of Cephas, not Paul. And they're divided and they're not speaking the same thing. And so Paul has to beg them, plead with them that it is important that there is just one way. And there is one thing that we need to be speaking. The body is one. But the devil would say the body's not one, it's many. It's okay. There may be a congregation here, there may be a church down there, there may be a denomination over here. It doesn't matter if you've got 500 in the same city, it's not a big deal. Everybody just do what they want to do because there is not just one way. Very quickly, let's notice together that sometimes the devil actually unties, if you will, the knots that God has there. Look in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. Sometimes the devil puts knots in his tail. Sometimes he unties God's knots. Do You remember in Matthew 16 and verse 18, Jesus says, And I also say to you, to Peter, that you are Peter, and on this rock, not Peter, but on the statement that he had just made, back up in verse number 16, but you are Peter, and on this statement, this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Here's one of those cases where the devil actually unties God's knots because he says the gates of Hades shall prevail against it. What about Acts chapter 4? And verse number 12, you remember there that as Peter and John are addressing the Sanhedrin. Peter says, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name given under heaven, under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's no other name. The devil unties that and says, again, not a big deal. You want to pick Muhammad? You want to pick somebody else? That's fine, because there are other names whereby you can be saved. And he begins to try to untie what God has said. When the devil is untying the knots that God has done, he's simply trying to get us to believe that it's not a big deal. God is simply being too harsh, and we just need to untie those things. That's that's just too far. We don't need to do that. The devil has many knots. There is not a God. You will not be lost. There is not just one way. Number four, he would have us to believe that salvation is not a big deal. Salvation is not a big deal. As we think about this in particular, we think about it in regards to God's word. There are some knots in Satan's tale regarding God's word. You know, in John chapter 8 and verse number 32, Jesus makes that great statement and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Satan says the truth shall not make you free. Because he would also say, Jesus would say in John 17 and verse 17, again going back to that prayer, that great prayer, John 17, 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So the knot in the devil's tail here regarding God's word and salvation is that God's word is not truth. You can't trust this dusty, old, outdated book. Do you mean to tell me that I can't marry whoever I want to marry? That, that, that I can't do whatever I want to do, that must be old, that must be the way that we used to do things, and that cannot be the truth. That's the knot in the devil's tail regarding the word of God that would have us to seem like, you know, we just shrug our shoulders at it. It's something that doesn't really affect us. And you know, if they want to do what they want to do, and this group wants to do what it wants to do, we'll do what we want to do, and that'll just be fine. Because God's word is not truth, as the devil would have us to believe. Friends, that's a a shaky ground to stand upon. And we know that one day we will stand before God, and it won't stand at that time. That we will fall, that we will be sentenced to eternal punishment if we do not follow his word and his truth, and we simply do whatever we feel is right. This is, of course, one of the ways in which the world has attacked us, even as we kind of, Again, this is kind of what I wanted to get into this afternoon. The idea that there are maybe some 21st century knots. Not that there's nothing, there's nothing new under the sun. We know that to be true. But surely this idea that, that truth is truth is truth for whoever wants to believe whatever has kind of been something that's been promoted a lot. And the church has had to kind of adapt to that. We've kind of sometimes made concessions that maybe we shouldn't have made for people. And say okay, well, well, we'll try to be a little giving and graceful here, and the next thing you know, we have compromised, and we have begun to live out that God's word is not truth. Salvation is not a big deal. God's word doesn't tell you it's not the only way. What about some knots in the devil's tale about salvation in particular? Number two, regarding becoming a Christian, you know, John chapter eight and verse twenty-four. Jesus says that you must believe. If you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. The devil would say you shall not die in your sins if you don't believe. That's not a big deal. And yet so many in the world talk about belief. So many religious people talk about belief. So maybe they don't say, well, maybe you don't need to repent. Remember in Acts chapter 17 and verse number 30, as Paul is preaching that great sermon there at Mars Hill In Athens, Acts 17 and verse 30, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked but now commands all men everywhere to repent. But you know, repentance is a weakness, right? You're saying you're wrong and I can't tell you you're wrong and you can't tell me I'm wrong. So surely that's not true, right? God does not command all men everywhere to repent because we don't want to show any weakness. We don't want to have to say we're wrong or we're sorry. These are lies that the world feeds us, that the devil feeds us. He would say, you don't need to confess Jesus as Lord. Remember Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 through 33, Jesus talks about this idea of confessing him. We know that we need to confess him in the plan of salvation as we think about becoming a Christian. We don't confess our sins necessarily in the same way when we're baptized and added to the church. We confess him as Lord. Yeah, in a sense, we confess him because we're repenting of them. Maybe we're realizing these mistakes and we need to change, but we confess him as Lord. He says, if you do that, you can be saved. But the devil says, you do not need to confess, Jesus says, Lord. Here's where it even shifts a little bit more, right? Because many people say, well, you just believe. You don't have to confess, just believe. And here's another knot, another tying up, another confusing part for many Many people. And of course, regarding becoming a Christian, the devil would have us say, You do not have to be baptized to be saved. You just believe. And if you want to repent, you can repent. If you want to confess, you can confess. But if you'll just believe, that'll be enough. Brother Don Blackwell had a great lesson on Tuesday night at the Dunlap congregation for their gospel meeting. He said as he began that, that, he had heard it from someone else at Polishing the Pulpit. It was done by Brother Eric Owens, and as you know, we have the ability to watch that through our, uh, the subscription that our elders pay for PTP 365, and when you just make a plug for that again. You can go on there and watch Brother Eric's lesson. You can find Don's online as well. It's talking about the saddest scene ever seen, and it's the idea that there will be many, many people who have been told to believe but not repent, but not confess, and not be baptized. And those people who have simply believed and believed the devil's not that you don't have to be baptized will then have a very sad scene on their hands one day. When they think they've done what God has said do and they find out that that's not. They've been misled by someone. So many ways in which the devil misleads us and the world especially regarding salvation. We've said regarding salvation not being a big deal. We've talked about God's word. We've talked about the Christian being becoming a Christian, but number 3, let's notice the knot in the devil's tail regarding the value of the tur- church. The church, the value of the church and how that connects to salvation. You know, some people would say the church is not Jesus's body. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 through 23, Paul emphasizes this idea of the church and the body. And he put all things under his feet and gave him, that's Jesus, to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The devil says, nah, it's not a big deal. The church is not a big deal. He might even go so far as to say, let you believe. If you've been baptized, that's okay. You believe, but you don't have to see any value in the church. You don't have to be connected. All you need is Jesus. All you need is yourself. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. That's all you need. But there is value in the church. It is the body of Jesus. He would have us believe that Jesus is not the Savior. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 23. We know that there in Ephesians five twenty-three, Paul is talking about marriage. But what's the connection that he makes between marriage and the church, marriage and Christ and the church? For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. The devil would have us to believe surely he is not the savior of the body. He would have us to believe that you are not members of one another. Think about Romans chapter 12 and verse number five, Romans 12 and verse five, Paul is talking here, encouraging them to think about the body, how we're all members, we're all different, but we're all one body. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. This is the one maybe that's really got to us a lot lately. Maybe this is the one that's really hit home for us in the last two years as we were separated for a while and people began to think, you know what? I believe that. It's not a big deal. The church is not that important. I can do it on my own. We are not members one of another. And yet here the exact opposite is, is said in the word of God. That we are members of one another. We do have to rely on one another. There is value in the church. He would have us believe the church is just not that important. Do You remember in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. He would talk about this idea. Paul would write to Timothy and remind him that the church is the pillar and the ground of truth. I don't want to get off chasing too many rabbit trails here, but don't most of us agree that when we think about our community, when we think about our society, when we think about our country, we would agree that it seems like most people have left the church as being the pillar and ground of truth. And they put their hope and their faith in the government. They put their hope and faith in themselves as opposed to God and Jesus and the church. And when each one does what is right in his own eyes, You know, I've been teaching judges at Greenslake Road on Monday nights, and that's the thing, right, in the book of Judges, that each person does what is right in their own eyes, not turning to the church, not turning to God, not turning to his word. And as we have strayed from that pillar and ground that foundation, the devil would have us to believe the church is just not that important. And then we think, well, salvation must not be a big deal either. And we believe these knots in the devil's tail. We're going to come back this afternoon. We'll stop at number four there for right now. We're going to come back this afternoon and talk about some more, a few more, and we'll talk about some first century ones. If you'd like to take your Bible and put that up and maybe get your songbook out as we're about to extend heaven's invitation here at the end of this lesson, it may also be, as we think about this lesson and we think about this idea of the devil's knots, it may also be, that the devil has a knot around your heart. Do You remember in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 11, Paul would write, Put on the whole armor of God. Or there's so much there, isn't it? We can't just put on the helmet. We can't just put on the breastplate. We can't just pick and choose what we want. We must put on the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to withstand against the wiles of the devil. friends, Brethren, it's possible this morning that the devil has a knot around your heart, but you can remove it. Don't get tied up in Satan's knots. Follow God's word. Understand that there is a God, that you can be lost, that there is just one way, that salvation is a big deal. It's why we stop at the end of our lesson and maybe we shift our thinking just a little bit from whatever we've just maybe talked about to extend heaven's invitation. To sing a song that's been selected, that through its words we might encourage you to realize that these things are important. That the devil is our opponent, we have to know him, understand him, and avoid the wiles of the devil, the schemes of the devil, the ways in which he wants to walk around, that he will walk around seeking to devour us. We've noticed just a few in kind of an overview sense this morning. And if you're here this morning and you're not a child of God, become one. We always try to emphasize that if you are unsure about what you've seen or heard or you'd like to study the plan of salvation, we would do that with you as soon as possible. It's that important of a decision. Don't delay. Become a Christian. Be added to the church by the Lord so that you can begin to live faithfully. Because here's the beautiful part as I look around this room standing up here, I realize that I'm not fighting this opponent alone. As being a part of the church and understanding the value, I have you to help me. And you encourage me, and I want to encourage you so that we can do this together. As you put on Christ in baptism and you're added to the church, you begin to live faithfully with the encouragement of brothers and sisters in Christ. But none of us are perfect. Maybe we take our armor off and we sit it down for a moment. We fall short. We mess up. Maybe you're here this morning and you are a child of God, but you've wandered away. You've, be- you've begun just a little bit to believe the knots in the devil's tail and to kind of follow with what he's saying. And maybe you've wandered away from the Lord. As we said just a moment ago, it is our sins that separate us from God. And maybe you need to repent of those. And confess those and make it known because we know that the Lord is faithful to forgive us. And we are absolutely thankful for this moment in time and for this body that we can encourage you with the words of this song, even now as we stand together and as we sing.